Welcome to our last Tuesday of the month book discussion and podcast. Just a couple of librarians talking about books we think others might enjoy. June's Read is the graphic novel adaptation of Slaughterhouse-Five by Ryan North and Albert Montez. Spoiler alert! We usually end up discussing endings and key plot points. I'm Amy, and joining me today is Kayla, adult services librarian at Norwalk Easter Public Library. Thanks. Happy to be here. Yay, so excited to talk to you. For the audience, Kayla and I are longtime friends, and we used to work together, and now we get to talk about books together on this podcast, so I'm super excited. Yes, I know. I'm desperate to talk about books again, and it's a pleasure to be able to talk about books on this podcast with you. Let's get started with a very basic plot line of the story for folks. If you haven't read his original novel or haven't read this graphic novel adaptation yet, this is the story of Billy, who is a young soldier who gets unstuck in time. And we find out during the novel what exactly that means. So it's about his life. It's the life of a veteran of World War II, and it's the story of the bombing of Dresden, Germany. So with that background, Kayla, did you read the original novel, Slaughterhouse-Five? Apparently I did, and I have no memory of it. I was creeping back into my Goodreads and trying to see if I had read it. Apparently in college, we had done an author study of Kurt Vonnegut and we read all of his books. And my only commentary for this title was a weird exclamation point. So that is my takeaway from however many years ago I was in college, I will not say. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, and you know, if you're studying English in college or even just any subject matter you're studying, there's lots of reading. So, you know, maybe not all of it sticks with you. Exactly. But apparently weirdness does. (laughs) For sure. I don't believe I have ever read Slaughterhouse-Five because I had always heard, you know, Billy Pilgrim and like I've heard the references and everything, but like I don't believe I've ever read it. So this was a first for me and I will definitely still support the weird comment. (laughs) But I think it works really well in this graphic novel. Yes, agreed. So there are lots of very unique style choices that happen throughout the graphic novel that I haven't seen done before. So it opens with some kind of snippets of different characters. It gives you a supporting cast page where it kind of goes over some of the major players in the novel. And I can't really express how different it is without being able to show it to somebody. So I totally encourage people to check it out from their local library so you can get a better idea of what we're talking about here with these. But the panels of time are also structured very differently. And I think that's reflected by what was originally done in Kurt's novel. So there are sections of time that are definitely split up in between. And again, it takes place in vignettes. So it jumps back and forth in time. And that's done really well here. Was there a particular panel or area of the story that really stuck with you, Kayla? You know, I'm a librarian and I can't pick just one. So I have three tabbed, but I'm going to, I'll probably talk in depth most about one that I think a lot of folks would relate to and 
for me, probably had the most emotional connection. And that was when they're describing all of the gear that Roland Weary is wearing, roughly 15 to 20 pages in. And they just have a really nice visual of all the different pieces of equipment that he, as a soldier, is wearing and using. It tells a story of the environment that they're in, where they're stationed, gives a little bit of insight into the character himself. Note how there was a spot that specifically says a dirty picture that he has made Billy admire this photo several times, and the dirty photo is blurred out. But also part of it is they have Roland in the center of this page, and they have him down to his underwear briefs, but they have like a cutout around him to make it look like a paper doll, which gives a very interesting twist to how to interpret this page. The main reason why this stuck with me is my grandfather fought in Korea and he was very detailed in the types of gear that he had to carry and why he had to carry those specific pieces of equipment. And so for me, looking at this gave me a little more insight into what he described. I had a strong visual with it. And that's where I think a lot of folks don't realize how much they have to carry, how physically fit have to be to hold and carry all this for miles on end every day. And separate research that I did, this would equal to 50 to 70 pounds of equipment on a person. Oh my gosh. So I mean, um, that totally makes sense. But I guess adding up all those layers and things, a full canteen. Yeah. And the gas mask, what I thought was also interesting, have to have all the different weather gear. He has his raincoat, but he also in Germany and Russia and it was cold. So he has all these woolen garments with him. You have to have all the different layers and specifically two pairs of socks. As my grandfather constantly kept saying, you always have two pairs of socks. Always. So I thought that was interesting. And then the trench knife that he so lovingly showed off to Billy and previous ones. So yeah, to me, this was just very interesting. And like I said, an emotional connection and probably the next closest to an emotional connection was of course the vignette when they came up, um, this is a spoiler, when they came up from the basement of the slaughterhouse and they saw the destruction at Dresden. And of course, then the connection, the only caption on this page, so it goes. Obviously very telling, very emotionally overwhelming to see that this part of the story is true and accurate. So in that context of using the phrase, so it goes. Mm -hmm. We see that throughout the novel being used after a death. Yes. And it brings a sort of disconnect, I think, from exactly what you're describing, the emotional response that happens with that. Mm -hmm. I saw that as very intentional and a key plot point to the reason to use it by these extraterrestrial beings that Mm -hmm. are also in this story, which if you haven't read this may sound strange. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Trying to avoid that until we're ready for it because it's, yeah. Yeah. It's here though. There's extraterrestrial beings in this story, folks, and they play a very crucial role in Billy's life in this story. I'm curious, was there a specific way or role you saw those aliens playing in his life or in the story that you'd like to share any insights on those? (laughs) 
Well, I'm thinking that's largely where the weird comment came from, from my college notes, is because of the aliens. I like fantasy and I do like some science fiction, but I do not do well with magical realism. I like facts and what would have drawn me into hearing and reading Slaughterhouse-Five, I would have heard historical fiction. And then all of a sudden I have aliens like, this is not historical fiction. How dare you? This is not right. So now in my adult brain, reading it and looking at it, I would say the point perhaps of having the aliens is to be able to have that disconnect, that more of an observational role um, to be able to look back on not only Billy's life, but on this specific event and be able to see it for what it is. And in a way, it kind of takes any biases out of it in a way, although it's clearly skewed to show that it's the children's crusade that we have a certain attitude towards it. Um, by having those aliens there, it kind of creates that disconnect. Mm -hmm. And maybe keep from being overwhelming. Yeah, I read it as potentially a manifestation of PTSD in mm -hmm. Billy as well. And that served as his point of disconnect, like you said, and his way of finding space to hold these experiences in. Despite the fact that there are scenes in this story that do feel very real and that you can tell he feels are very real with the aliens. Mm -hmm. There are prolonged experiences that he identifies in this story, which was, like you said, very magical realism. But I think I would have had trouble definitely with that in a novel form. In this yes. form, it makes it much easier to digest, I think. Exactly. agree with that statement wholeheartedly. <laughs> it makes it much more digestible. And maybe that's just kind of my attitude in general when I read some graphic novels. Even when I know I'm reading a graphic memoir, I just know that there's a certain level of literary fiction being given to it. And so I take it with a grain of salt. That's one of my favorite things about graphic novels is the way that it allows you to take in what is happening on the page in different ways. Because it's not just through words. There's other cues that you can take from the images and the way that the author has chosen to structure them within the visual components that makes it easier for me in a lot of ways. So I interrupted you. You were talking oh. about your other panel that really <laughs> stuck with you. Yes, which goes directly to the aliens because it is the whole full page when Billy was given, I'm going to butcher it, Dorian book. One, because it's probably the most colorful page spread in the whole book is partly why it's so startling, which obviously is another visual cue from the author and the artists. And two, because of how they translate language, how they communicate is really interesting. There's so many different ways to that you can interpret this. And especially when you're looking at the individual panels and images on this, you're like, what the heck is that? <laughs> it's very interpretive. It's very abstract. Like in one of these panels, I'm like, oh, based off of everything I've seen on the news this last year and a half, that looks like a coronavirus image that people have been using on the news and whatnot. Or this looks like a snail. But it's very compelling. You could just sit and look at this for hours on your own and try to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So some of the text that is written on this page for our listeners is there was no particular relationship between the images, except that the author had chosen them carefully so that when seen all at once, they produced an image of life that was beautiful and surprising and deep. There was no beginning, no middle, no end, no suspense, no moral, no causes, no effects, just the depth of many marvelous moments seen together all in the same instant. And like you said, I think that definitely helps portray that sense of disconnect again from individual moments and seeing a life as a whole. So that definitely supports everything that we've been exploring so far about this book. Mm -hmm. And that happens right after a time that he is first imprisoned in a POW camp. And part of me was wondering, I haven't analyzed this thoroughly, but if there is any pattern to when we go from, you know, his life in the war to his experiences with the aliens to his experiences after the war and who he is with his family. That is something I think there may be something there to it. And maybe there's not, maybe it really is just random, but I thought that was interesting. Well, I was thinking, you know, in the 60s and 70s is when very much there was an anti-war movement going on. And so there was more conversations about what was happening in World War II. So I'm wondering if maybe that played a role in his triggering and the PTSD and why that was happening then. Because at the time, it seems like his life is going pretty good. For an average Joe Schmo, his life is going pretty well at that time. And then all of a sudden, just bam. But that's also telling of how PTSD is as well. It's sometimes not predictable. It sometimes doesn't always have a trigger. It just comes on you. Mm-hmm. We should also mention that he is not just a regular infantry soldier. He's actually a chaplain's assistant for the infantry. So this is also very indicative of who he is as a person and kind of maybe how he doesn't fit in with the group that he ends up falling in in the war that we see portrayed. So you talked about Ronald Mm -hmm. and I thought that first vignette that you were talking about was really interesting because yes, like you mentioned the paper doll and it was interesting that they chose him as the character to be in that position because he's also not depicted as a very nice person, but none of the characters really are in this no. book. There's almost no one who is redeeming in any fashion. And if they're going to have anybody be redeeming, it's Billy. <laughs> they're trying to have him be so. And I wonder exactly why he was the choice to be the typical soldier as a description. Mm-hmm. Then again, I don't know if any of the other, so to speak, supporting cast of characters would have been a good one to base that on either. (laughs) Paul, certainly not. Paul would be same as Roland. And Edgar is not supposed to be that typical soldier either. So Mm -hmm. you'd have to grab another completely different character for that. Yeah. And part of that does, I think, again, back to what we were saying about how the full title of this book is Slaughterhouse Five or the Children's Crusade, A Duty Dance with Death. 
is the entire title of this. Even going into it, it tells you something, but coming out of it, you can really fully appreciate that title as you get to know the characters. Because like you said, none of them are the typical what we would think of as soldiers. And maybe that also says something about what people who don't serve in the military, their view of military service and expectations of what it looks like to be somebody who chooses that or is enlisted in whatever fashion that happens. And truly, like they say at the beginning, it seemed as though for World War II, there were a lot of very young and experienced soldiers who took that on. So they make a very pointed example of that when they are, I shouldn't say reunited, but are connected with the English POWs. They make a very pointed <laughs> discussion of that. It's when we shave our beards that we realize how young we all are, that we're not all truly old men. That whole interaction was a hoot as well. Yes, there was an interesting relationship between the English and the American soldiers that I did not quite grasp entirely, I think, and didn't understand and didn't expect coming into it. Being allies, you would think that there would be a certain level of camaraderie, which you kind of see at the beginning, but then you feel like you've been duped into this presentation that the English soldiers presented their American allies with, and then some stuff happens and they're kind of tossed to the wind. And mm -hmm. I'm interested to do a bit more reading about all the background behind that and actually what happened with those POW shiftings and things. That's not the part of World War II that we get talked about too as kids going through a public school system. Right, exactly. And I think that was also part of Vonnegut writing this is he's giving a perspective that not others are privy to. Again, part of the research, if some of you folks are not aware, Kurt Vonnegut actually served. And a lot of this story is part of his experiences as well and what he observed. And maybe that's part of the story that we might not ever hear or get the full story, I should say, get the full story. Yes, and there's even parts in the story that address that. After he is in that plane accident and he's recovering in the hospital, the person in the bed next to him is a writer who is trying to write a story about Dresden and is pulling all of these military records and government records and trying to get a picture of what happened. And he doesn't believe Billy when Billy is telling him that he was there and I think even the author says something along the lines of, we may not ever really know the full story or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. It's wonderfully done, both just the adaptation and I'm sure Vonnegut's original work, if I can pull myself together to read that again. <laughs> <laughs> that one might not be as digestible as a graphic novel. <laughs> Not to get too pulled away from the story, but graphic novels as a whole, we kind of talked about how they are useful, but as a librarian, an educator, an adult, because maybe not a lot of adults feel like they want to pick up a graphic novel. How do you relate to them? 
<laughs> well, my background is in education for a discovered library, so I'm really glad you pointed it in that way. As an educator, when I was in my undergraduate, that's how I discovered graphic novels first, was in my classwork of having another option for reluctant readers. And I just thought, what the heck is this? We're giving them comics. How are they going to get the content out of comics. Well, I was quickly educated about graphic novels being so much more than comics. And I think that's what a lot of parents and adults do see. They just see the artwork and they think it's a comic. You don't think there's a lot of story. They don't think that they can learn about character development and plot and pacing. And I absolutely now I'm an avid fan of graphic novels of all different types. Sometimes I prefer to read a graphic novel than the actual fictional work sometimes. And there's so many more components. You have the visual cues, but it also is interpretive by the reader. So as an educator and as a librarian, I'm all for it. I say, give it a try. And just like any other book, if you don't like that particular graphic novel, that might not be your graphic novel. Just like every book has a reader, that just might not be your book. Let's find you the one that fits what you like. So I like a lot of true stories. I like historical fiction. So I dip my toes into graphic novels by leaning on more of those that have historical fiction because I'm more likely to enjoy them. Now I try all sorts of different weird things, weird in a good way. So as an adult, I feel like the kids' graphic novels can be just as compelling as the adult graphic novels. And I would like to put that out there again as well for adults that just because it says graphic in the title doesn't always necessarily mean that it's violent, as I was expecting more of the violence and graphic nature of that sense in this book. And there really wasn't as much as I anticipated. Actually, he censored himself a few times when there were going to be those moments if you like horror, you'll find a horror graphic novel. If you like true stories, you'll find that. Um, if you like fantasy, sci-fi, it's all over. And just give it a go. Have an open mind. Yeah, I will echo that. Before I really started reading some graphic novels more frequently, I had a picture that they were all in the manga style or they were super dark, kind of more in the like V for Vengeance type of, yeah, like you said, graphic, violent arena. Superhero. Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. And that is not at all the case. In fact, in this novel, the artwork, despite the fact that it is a deeper novel with adult themes, the artwork is very soft in comparison and feels more close to a cartoon or a comic strip style. And I think that that reflects, again, the age of the people who are portrayed in the novel and just gives you an overall feeling that it's not necessarily just about the violence, that the book is about more than that dark theme of war. So all that to say that there's a lot to be discovered with this. And I will unashamedly say that as an adult, I love, love, love to read juvenile graphic novels. <laughs> yes, there are so many very good juvenile graphic novels. I was like, you're an adult. Why are you reading kids books? Hey, kids books have 
really great content, really great stories. I can get them done faster, (laughs) but still get a good story. So there's no shame in that game. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Judgment-free zone. Exactly. I love that. Before we wrap up here, were there other things from the novel that were really burning in your brain? (laughs) Well, the whole time that I was thinking about this or when I saw that it was in pre-pub, pre-publication alert that it was coming out, I was like, all right, another, so to speak, classic novel or classic author having his work be made into a graphic novel adaptation. Why the heck did they choose a graphic novel for this? And I think in a way we've already answered that question of why this format, why this particular adaptation, I don't see how it could be done in any other format. I think it is very functional to have it in a graphic novel format because of the visual cues, the breakup of having the aliens in there kind of gets past some of that weirdness. In the graphic novel, you can almost skip over the alien parts and just read it as a historical fiction and make it more digestible. Um, I think it makes it a little less intimidating in this format. And I was kind of frustrated at first in the first few pages when it kept comparing itself to the original (laughs) book. And I feel like you're trying too hard to be approachable. And then you got past that. But I think that was what was burning in my brain a little bit for a while. Of How the heck are they going to pull this off? <laughs> I, yeah. I'm thrilled. It makes me want to pick up the original novel, but I might want to wait a little bit. I might try heavy stuff again in a little while. I need a palate cleanser in between my books. I will agree that it definitely made me more interested in reading it. Like I never would have even probably thought about going back to reread Slaughterhouse-Five. It's one of those books that I probably, if a patron asked me if I'd ever read it, I might have actually lied and said yes. (laughs) Just because like it's one of those books where like, it's a classic. Everyone who's a librarian should have read it. But now maybe there's a chance that I'll go back and read it. But I will definitely keep this graphic novel on my shelf and definitely revisit it eventually it's that good. So thank you everybody for joining us. If you enjoyed this month's read and are looking for more books to add to your reading list, we've got some recommendations for you. Kayla, do you want to start us off? Sure. So if you want to go more on the historical fiction side, if you are familiar with the things they carried, I definitely had those vibes. When it comes to a little bit of the weird touching into the normal do androids dream of electric sheep comes to mind for me if the title doesn't tell you that you're in for something weird i'm just saying but also with some of that more observation disconnect to a very real hard topic i also get a vibe of the virgin suicides i think that if you like to have that exploration of a heavier topic but maybe not from someone who is in it, in it. I definitely had similar connections there. So that's what I have for my top three. That's awesome. My top three include Day Tripper by Fabio Moon and Gabrielle Ba, Onward Towards Our Noble Deaths by Shiguru Mizuki, which is a semi-autobiographical account of their time in Japanese infantry during World War II. So it may provide a second view of World War II for those folks who are really interested in that genre of literature. And then lastly, another adaptation of a 
famous novel, which I think has done pretty well, To Kill a Mockingbird, graphic novel by Fred Fordham. Yes. Oh, highly recommend that just period for you to try for graphic novels. I'm also a big fan of Atticus Finch. Who isn't? Atticus Finch is great. So thank you again, everybody. And thanks to Kayla for joining us. Thank you for having me. (laughs) And I'll be back in August with Candice from Iowa City Public Library to discuss this year's adult all Iowa read selection, Little Faith by Nicholas Butler. We hope you'll join us again.